Welcome to Current Radio's Politics Station. Please enjoy today's selection of political news. The political landscape is heating up, Abby. The 2024 White House campaign is less than a year away, and the GOP nomination is... It's not just a horse race, Michael. It's a battle for the soul of the country. And with Trump potentially running again, the stakes are incredibly high. Right, Trump's potential run is causing a stir. And it's not just because of his polarizing personality. He's facing multiple criminal trials. And that's where the GOP's dilemma lies. How do you exploit Trump's lawlessness and criminal exposure without alienating his base? Exactly. Take Nikki Haley, for instance. She's been critical of Trump, but she's walking a fine line. She doesn't agree with his comments, but she's also not directly addressing his criminal trials. She's playing it safe, Michael. But it's clear she's not comfortable with the chaos surrounding Trump. Then there's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He's taking a different approach. He's highlighting Trump's age as a potential issue. Yes, he's suggesting that the presidency is not a job for someone pushing 80. It's a bold move, but it could resonate with some voters. But despite the criticisms, Trump still dominates the GOP primary. True. And it's not just about his popularity. It's about his influence. Many of his supporters still believe his false claims about the 2020 election. So it seems like the GOP is in a bind. They can't fully embrace Trump, but they can't completely reject him either. And that's the crux of the issue, Michael. The GOP is struggling to redefine itself in the post-Trump era. Meanwhile, Trump is not holding back. He's already campaigning, throwing jabs at his potential rivals, and... And he's not shying away from controversy. His comments about immigration and his attacks on Biden are just a preview of what his campaign might look like. It's clear that the 2024 campaign is going to be a tumultuous one. The GOP is in a tough spot, and the country is watching closely. Absolutely, Michael. It's a pivotal moment for the GOP and the country. The decisions made now will shape the political landscape for years to come. From the complexities of American politics, let's shift our focus south to a country experiencing its own political shakeup. Buckle up as we dive into the world of Argentine politics, where the traditional political playbook is being rewritten by a rather unconventional figure. Well, Abby, it seems we're in for a wild ride in Argentina. The country's politics are being shaken up by a rather eccentric character, Javier Millet. Eccentric might be an understatement, Michael. This anarcho-capitalist has been known to campaign with a chainsaw in hand, calling for deep cuts to government spending. Quite the image, isn't it? But beyond the theatrics, he's proposing some radical changes. He wants to replace the local currency, the peso, with the U.S. dollar and extinguish the central bank to combat inflation. Yes, and he's also pushing for a smaller government, even suggesting eliminating half of the government ministries, including health and education. It's a stark contrast to the traditional political landscape in Argentina. There's been a comparison to former U.S. President Donald Trump with Millet's calls to purge the political caste from Argentina's government. He's even adopted a similar slogan, Make Argentina Great Again. But it's not just about politics for Millet. He sees himself as a culture warrior. He opposes feminist policies, rejects the notion of human-induced climate change, and has even called Pope Francis an imbecile for defending social justice. His personal life is equally unconventional, isn't it? He views his clone mastiffs as his children with four paws, 
and all named after economists. Plus, he's been open about his participation in group sex and considers himself an expert in tantric sex. Well, that's certainly a first for a politician, but it seems to be working for him. He's gone from a TV talking head to a serious contender for the presidency. Absolutely, Michael. It's a testament to the unpredictable nature of politics. One thing's for sure. Argentina's political landscape will never be the same. From the unconventional political climate in Argentina, we now turn our attention to a different kind of political intrigue unfolding in Southeast Asia, where political novelties are replaced with allegations of nepotism and the establishment of a political dynasty. Stay tuned as we delve into the recent developments in Indonesia's political arena. Abby, have you been following the recent political developments in Indonesia? Indeed, Michael. It seems President Joko Widodo, affectionately known as Jokowi, is facing some serious allegations of establishing a political dynasty through nepotism. Right. His eldest son, Gibran Raka Booming Raka, has been named the vice presidential running mate of Defense Minister Prabowo Subianto for the upcoming general election. And let's not forget about Jokowi's youngest son, Kaisang Pangarep, who was appointed chairman of the Indonesia Solidarity Party. Yes. And then there's his son-in-law, Bobby Nasushin, who is the current mayor of Medan. This has led to some critics accusing Jokowi of trying to retain political influence through his family. Vedi Hadiz, director and professor at the Asia Institute at the University of Melbourne, referred to these as nepotistic strategies. And it's not just critics. According to a poll by Compass Research and Development, over 60% of respondents consider this move as a form of dynastic politics. It's interesting, Abby. Jokowi was once seen as a symbol of change, being the country's first leader who didn't come from a political or military background. But now critics are drawing comparisons between him and other political dynasties in Southeast Asia. Indeed, Michael. And it's not just about the potential impact on the political landscape. These developments could also affect the country's already fragile state of democracy. Absolutely, Abby. It's a delicate situation, and as Julia Lau from the IC's Yusuf Ishak Institute puts it, Widodo is playing a risky game in the last phase of his presidency. It's worth noting, Michael, that analysts are predicting a Jokowi effect for the PSI and Jarindra parties. Right, Abby. By choosing Gibran, Prabowo's camp is hoping to associate its presidential bid with the successes of Jokowi-era programs and policies. And the PSI is hoping that Jokowi's popularity will rub off on Kaisang Pangarep and improve their electoral performance. But let's not forget, Michael, that this move has also strained Jokowi's relationship with the PDIP, the country's ruling party. It's a complex situation, and it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Absolutely, Abby. It's a story we'll be keeping a close eye on. From political dynasties in Southeast Asia, we now move to another intriguing aspect of politics, this time a bit closer to home. It seems age is becoming a hot topic in the corridors of power. Let's delve into the ongoing debate around America's leadership and the question of whether it's time for a generational shift in the political landscape. Our next topic, Abby, is a bit of a touchy one. It's about the age of America's leaders, some people are calling our government a gerontocracy. That's a fancy word for rule by the old. What's your take on this? Well, Michael, it's quite a fascinating discussion. And it's not just about President Biden, who just turned 81, or Trump, who's 77. Even in Congress, we have leaders like Pelosi and Grassley, who are in their 80s and 90s. 
it's an interesting... Intriguing, isn't it? The senate, derived from the Latin word senex, which means old and old man, has always had its share of elder statesmen and women. But with a median age of 65, it's the oldest it's ever been. It's a unique situation, isn't it? Absolutely, Michael. And as Professor Kevin Munger points out, we're seeing this aging leadership for various reasons. Some can't let go of power, some are part of the large baby boom cohort, and there are no term limits. It's a multifaceted issue. And it's not just about the age. It's about the opportunities for younger people. Take the example of Congressman Maxwell Frost, the youngest member of Congress and its first Gen Z member. He was elected at the age of 25, but he points out that not all young Americans are the same. It's not just about age, but about representation. Definitely. And we have young people making strides at a local level, too. Valerie McDonnell, a Republican, was elected at the age of 18, making her the youngest state legislator. She believes her age is an asset, especially when discussing issues like social media. And let's not forget, being a state representative isn't lucrative. The salary is $100 a year in New Hampshire. This can make it harder for the younger generation to run. But as Mr. Alexander said, it's not just about age, but a person's mental dynamic. Yes, and there are signs that change is coming. Senators Manchin and Romney, both 76, said they won't seek re-election. And Patrick Leahy retired before he turned 83, saying more should follow suit. It seems the gray wall might be starting to crumble, making way for the new. So, Abby, do you think it's time for America's elder statesmen to retire? Well, Michael, I think it's about balance. We need the wisdom and experience of the older generation, but we also need the fresh perspectives and innovative ideas of the young. A healthy democracy should ideally have representation from all age groups. 